Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In today's episode, I speak with Ant Rawlins, CEO of Navigate Agency, the marketing agency for the tourism and conservation sectors. We discuss how to position your attraction as essential, the number one thing all attraction marketeers need to focus on this year, and a podcast exclusive. Ant shares with us an exciting new initiative, so listen out for news on Wildling. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. And it is so nice to have you on the podcast today. I have to say, I'm so delighted that you're on because you are genuinely one of my favourite speakers to listen to. So I'm thrilled that you're on today. And I I know this is going to be a really exciting conversation. No pressure then. Absolutely not. (laughs) I always like to start with a little bit of pressure. Um, And that takes us very nicely to our icebreaker questions. So when you were six, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was six? It was probably pretty cliche, um, an archaeologist or a fighter pilot. I'd probably say a fighter pilot more. Is this Top Gun? Is this it, is Top Gun. Top... It, is, yeah. it is Top Gun. And, and, and I'm pretty sure Top Gun was released when I was six. And my brother then went into the RAF. So I, oh. I kind of wanted to be my brother and a fighter pilot. But, you know. He got he got there first, basically. He did. He did. Actually, archaeology. So that's really interesting because it does kind of fit with some of the stuff that you've done, doesn't it? In a in a in a in a holistic kind of way. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Okay. If you could be in the Guinness World of Records, what record-breaking feat would you attempt? That's really mean. I have no <laughs> idea what that would be. I don't think that I'm, you know, going to be in the Guinness. I've never allowed myself to entertain that. Do you have like a weird talent? Not, not really that we can broadcast. <laughs> um, so, oh, this is going to sound really silly. It would be best, Dad. Oh, well, I've got some children that are not necessarily convinced by that, but there you go. The judging <laughs> panel, we'll see. Mm, tough critics all round. Yeah. I'm going to say. Hmm, okay, interesting. Thank you. And all right, if you could have one extra hour of free time every day, what would you use it for? Reading. Yes. It would be reading because I really do not enjoy reading at all. I can't stand it. So I would force myself to do that. That was unexpected. I thought you were going to tell me that you were a bit of a bookworm. But you do consume knowledge. I, I know that you consume knowledge because you're incredibly knowledgeable, especially about the topics that we talk about today. How do you consume? Are you more of a podcast? Are you more audio? Very much audio. And I don't enjoy reading, but I read a lot. I just find it a really challenging medium through which to get information. It's very one dimensional. Whereas actually, if you can show me a documentary, I'll get a lot more info from that. But, you know, that's a huge debate, right? So, yeah, that's really interesting. So it's a really good answer to the question. And it would be my answer as well, because... I don't get time to read. And reading for me is a way of going off into a different world. Whether that's reading something historical or reading something fictional, it just takes me away to a different place for a while. And, I, and I've, I've kind of lost that. My time has been sucked up with toddler, so I've kind of lost that a little bit. So that would be a really nice nice thing to get yeah, back to. Do you know, honestly, as I said, I, I don't like reading. And I absolutely never read fiction. It's always nonfiction. It's always work. It's always research papers or documents or or business books or how to, you know, be a CEO and not throw yourself off a bridge, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> rather than, yeah, um, a, a lovely story. I mean, I've, you know, previously read Wilbur Smith and various stuff like that, but 
I just don't have the time. So that's what I would do with my hour, Kelly. Good answer. Good answer. Thank you for sharing. Right. Unpopular opinion. What have you prepared for us? Email. I detest email as well. This is going to sound, this is not going to be as negative as, as it sounds. <laughs> We're getting it out of the way now. It's all going to be super positive going forward. But I, I hate email. And I was thinking about this. Obviously, you know, running a strategic digital marketing agency, um, it, you, you know, that's professional suicide saying you hate email to a certain degree. But I do. I hate it because it, it's a it's a it's a terrible it's a terrible thing. It delivers great results. But imagine your email being a letterbox and through this letterbox, you get information from the government, information from healthcare providers, you know, tax information essential business correspondence but also this t-shirt that you don't want this pair of shoes you know i've inherited a lot of different pots of money from foreign countries where i just need to provide my account details and they will release 10 percent of the 45 million pounds to me your email as as the collator of all of this how do you escape today crazy we need a better system you're right you are right. I don't think this is going to be a massively unpopular opinion, if oh, I'm if I'm okay. honest. No, I don't. I think I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. I actually know an agency owner who, um, oh, sorry, he, he's he's an agency founder um, and now runs an agency kind of uh, collective support support network. Um, he does he just doesn't use email at all anymore. He's he's closed it down. That's it. Just not just doesn't communicate via it. He'd rather use WhatsApp or Slack or those kind of channels for for it. And I think. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Because it's like a necessary evil. Yeah. But the time that it saps away from you is just... I know. And there's loads of productivity hacks you can activate around it. But, you know, goodness me, it's best it's best not to do that. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, and I do apologise for, for it being pretty tame. But, you know, I had about a thousand things for you and I wasn't allowed to say any of them when I run them past my wife. She's like, you can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that. Um, you know, so so there we go. We'll discuss those ones off air. Definitely. Okay. Right. Founder of Navigate, tourism and conservation marketing agency, fabulous agency. Um, lots of wonderful things that you do for your clients. What brought you to the world of attractions, tourism, and conservation? How did you end up here? So I studied biology at Bristol and pretty quickly. During my degree, I realized there was no way in the planet I wanted to be a biologist because fundamentally my life would be spent staring down a microscope looking at, I don't know, either sperm or stool samples, which is where a lot of biology originates or comes to at the end. So I kind of thought, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to do that with my with my time. So I kind of have always been interested in 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 generally in science. Um, I've got quite a strong science background. All my A-levels were science, then then obviously a science degree at Bristol. I did a master's in science at Bristol as well. But um, I kind of thought I wanted to do something on my own uh, and, and, and see how I could do. And I just decided to set up um, a business straight out of university. I'll add a disclaimer here because I often get labelled with this being a very brave decision. It wasn't a brave decision. It was purely a logical decision. I had no money, so I had nothing to lose. So, so you just go for it. What's the worst that could happen to me? You know, add a little bit more debt to the burgeoning student debt I had anyway. So, um, yeah, set up the company and off you go. It started in a different iteration. But fortunately, as I've learned more about business and people, I've been able to direct that to the things that 
that matter to me. And here we are now, tourism and conservation. The things that matter. It's really interesting that you set up. I didn't realise that you'd set up so early on in your career, actually. And I just I, I just come from a conversation about a very, a very, very similar topic. We set up our agency when when we were about 24. Um, I'd worked in various different places prior to that and never really found anywhere that I settled. But it's exactly the same thing. There was no risk then. It was, okay, well, I need to earn enough money to uh, pay my phone, put some petrol in my car, pay my mum some rent. That's it. You know, it's not a brave decision. It's like, I don't have any, there's just nothing to lose here. So I may as well just give it a go. It's, it's It's a really empowering place to be because now... If I was thinking about doing it again, <laughs> there's a lot more risk, a lot yeah, more overheads. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying now. Those are, those are the brave people, the ones that have responsibilities and financial commitments and go, do you know what? I've known this way of life for this amount of time. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to give it a go. I predicted I would not have the courage to do that 10 years down the line. <laughs> so I thought I'm just going to do it now. Uh, I love that. Well, I'm glad that you did because it's brought you to to where we are today. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about where we are today. So just from the attractions perspective, um, it's been a bit of a weird year, hasn't it? 2023. I think um, yeah, yeah. the last few years have been a bit weird. Let's face it. They have had a, you know, a massive whammy throughout the pandemic, you know, can be open one minute, can't be open the next minute restrictions, all kinds of all kinds of stuff going on. And then come through all of that. And are smashed in the face with economic chaos, cost of living crisis, war in Ukraine, not really understanding whether visitors are going to be able to afford to come to them this year. And so it feels a little bit like everyone's been deer in the headlights and going, we just we really don't know what to do. We're absolutely exhausted from the last two years. We don't know what to do. And we know that visits are about 80 or 90 percent of pre-pandemic levels. What's your take on where we're at at the moment and where things are going? I I think your analysis is spot on. That is where we are. It's challenging times. We're finding um, organisations are are taking longer to make decisions uh, because they're cautious, naturally. Um, I'm also finding that uh, there's a, a bit of a reticence to invest in kind of marketing and revenue generation. From the point of view of almost thinking, well, it's not going to be great this year. So let's not spend budget on not having a great year. Mm. It's, it's it's quite upside down thinking, in my opinion. But that is what's happening. And, and, and I know this because I, I speak with clients very openly and honestly. You know, we, we work with quite a few businesses that we feel a responsibility to turn their fortunes around. The, the organisations I love working more than anything are where they've got a big problem, a seriously big problem. So a number of our clients last year or the year before might have had to make redundancies. Serious stuff, reduction in, in headcount, reduction in visitor numbers, as as we as, as we know has been happening. And they just want to get back to the levels they were or even just right the ship. So we get involved and, and we help them do that. And, and I'm proud. I feel a very profound sense of pride when we do that. And, and we do it. We're serious about doing that. And I love it. You do do it really well as well. So, uh, you know, some of your attraction plants are really bucking this trend. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on today, along with something very exciting, which is coming later. But I want to kind of talk about strategies and methodologies that attractions can implement right now 
to increase their marketing success. I think this is what they want to hear about. But can you can you kind of set the scene for us? So what are some of your clients achieving in terms of visitor numbers and revenue? Because you've got some really impressive stats around that. Yeah. So I'd like to think that, you know, our clients are kind of booking the trend, looking at, you know, so, some of them are at 10 to 15 percent above pre-pandemic levels. Some of them are at pre-pandemic levels. But then again, some of them are below because we've just got them on board and our job is to convert them and, and increase them back to where they were or beyond. And, and on our aim is always let's take them beyond where they were. So, yeah, whenever I sit down with a client, I always look at what their targets are. Then I set my own internal target of usually 10 to 15 percent above that. And say and 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 navigate. We craft the strategy to over over deliver, so that you know, classic aim for the moon. At least you'll land amongst the stars. Strategy. If we aim big, do do the do a good work there. Then it massively mitigates the risk that you're not going to hit the target. But invariably, we go beyond it, and 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 it works. And what I what I do find fascinating at the moment is we, we're kind of feeling that because of the lack of impetus behind rolling out big marketing campaigns and investing in marketing because people have been very conservative with budgets. That does mean the people that we're working for, they're, they're flying. So they, they're, they're growing well, because actually if, if people are holding back and we're going all in, then then our clients are getting the visitor numbers and, and the revenue. It's just, you know, it's, it's just stats, isn't it? It's just going to be the case. We make more noise. People see our clients more. They visit them more. That sounds really simple when you say it and quite straightforward. No, I know. I know. <laughs> um, the listeners that are listening to this podcast are at all different sizes, so attractions of all sizes. Um, and some of them may be at those lower levels right now and starting to be, you know, slightly concerned about what summer may bring uh, or may not bring. What would be your advice to attraction marketers that are kind of struggling to focus on what the priorities should be right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so... This isn't rocket science at all. It's quite straightforward. The very first thing attractions marketers could should do is ultimately just deliver really good digital advertising. It's the most straight line method for visitors. It really is. Um, when I say digital marketing, yeah, it's digital advertising activity. That needs to be good. It should be the best. It is the, the creme de la creme of all marketing activities that can be done with immediate impact that's completely measurable and transparent. For me, it, it doesn't really make sense to invest budget anywhere else. Even projects that I work on independently navigate my own initiatives or innovations, as we might talk about a bit later, we would only do digital on that. You know, why, why would we ever think of anything else? There's just simply no requirement. Uh, and we can't track it, we can't measure it, we can't optimize. So the very first thing any attraction should do is what are they doing on digital and just do that more and do it better. And yet despite the pandemic, believe it or not, I still speak to some attractions that direct 80% of their marketing budget towards traditional marketing, print, leaflet, bus shelters, this and the other. And I just, I can't rationalize it in my head. I I don't understand. It does not compute. That's a huge percentage. That's that's really surprising. I mean, I I can understand some of their budget going towards it, but, but, you know, 20%, not 80%. Yeah. And and so when you were talking about, you know, the growth in visitor numbers that we're delivering for a lot of clients, it's because we charge into executing a digital advertising and marketing strategy immediately. And it has immediate effects, literally month one. 
it's so yeah that's what i would do and it doesn't matter what size you are you know because um i would say if if you're above 50,000 then you can implement what i'm talking about to the scale that it's required if you're 100,000 then 100,000 visitors per annum then it's viable anything above that you you have got the visitor numbers and the uh, marketing investment and resource to deliver a highly effective um, activity that will give you the visitor numbers you want. There's something else that you've been talking about quite a lot recently, which I am a big fan of. I've quoted elements of this blog piece in numerous talks and numerous pieces online. It's an about positioning and attraction as essential. Right, yeah. You spoke about it brilliantly at uh, the Alpha Heads of Marketing meeting back prior to December. Um, and it was perfectly timed because at that point, attraction marketeers, we knew we're looking at maybe a 15 to 20% cut in their budgets this year because of the cost of living crisis and having to look at kind of smarter ways to use their budget and smarter ways to talk about why their attraction is somewhere that, that, that people should, people need to visit, not just want to visit. Um, can you talk us through a couple of those those pointers from that blog piece because I just think it's so invaluable to our listeners to hear about this. Sure. So yeah, this came about actually, and credit where credit's due. Uh, Richard Huntington, who's a strategy director at Saatchi and Saatchi, um, first uh, put this forward when when I was presenting at an event with him, um, and we spoke about this, and he suggested that attractions need to position themselves as essential. So all I did was, you know, ride on his coattails. And say, all right, well, this is how attractions do position themselves as essential. So we've come up with a various ways of saying this is how you should communicate in order to position yourself as essential. And if you'll permit me to rewind for a moment, the reason we need to position an attraction as essential is because when reviewing the likely economic impact of the cost of living crisis on you know visitors, individuals' pockets they're ultimately going to be cutting everything apart from essential activities. This was the the theory six months ago when we were talking about this. And, it, uh, you know, to a certain degree, we have seen this. Um, so that's why we need to be essential, because it, it's almost the only ring fence budget in a consumer's pocket where they go, OK, that's essential. I, I, I'm not giving that up. Yeah. How does an attraction do this? How does it position itself as essential? And and, and there's a number of different ways of doing it. As, as you've said, you can look at the blog that we created for it. And it's really interesting. I think one of the nice ways of maybe picking one good strategy of this apart is is making memories. Mm. Um, Because our friend Bernard Donoghue at Alva regularly highlights that, you know, attractions are so important because they are these places that create memories. They create moments for people. And I absolutely agree with Bernard, of course. But what I think converts a memory to something essential is time, you know, as a grandparent, it's not about you as a grandparent not being there forever. It's about, as a grandparent, those kids aren't going to be little kids forever. They're going to be, you know, horrible, moody, grumpy, smelly teenagers before you know it. Apologies to any teenagers listening. <laughs> I'm sure you are not all like that. I certainly wasn't when I was a teenager. You know, it's it, you've got to just look at it a slightly different way. It, and, and it's essential, therefore, for a grandparent to spend time with the, that little four-year-old because she, she's not going to be four next year. She's not going to be four in a few years' time. Don't worry about where you are. So surely a day out, 
and a memory with a grandkid at the age of four. That's such a different experience at a, a kid age seven because I've got both, which is so different again from a kid age nine because I've got one of them too. And, you know, it's kind of like memories are memories at, at different times as well. And these this timing that you have here, you know, you really need to try and leverage that. And and if you can do that, then, yeah, it's essential, isn't it? You want to yeah. spend time with young. That that's the one that really hit home for me, actually. So I've a I've a young daughter. She's coming up for two. My grandparents. We've we've had her a lot later in life. My grand her grandparents are a little bit older, so they're they're seventy one this year, and they they feel this. So they feel that they are they have got a set amount of time to make and form those memories with that that little girl. They're already planning. She, she's not even two yet. They've already said to me by the time she's five, we're going to Disney. We've we've this is this is what's happening. We're going here and we're going to make this big memory because we need to do that. My dad needs to do that before he's 80. He's like, I can't, I can't do it any later than that. So, you know, they've got this time limit on these things. Um, the other thing that really struck me about that blog was how you position what things cost. So there was an element in there about um, making comparisons between everyday things and what you'd actually spend on an attraction so so for in, I I made a, a comparison between paying I think it was something like seven pounds to park all day at this absolutely incredible attraction that has the most fantastic kids play area and family area and you can make all of these wonderful memories you know take your kids bike there teach them to ride seven quid is two flat whites you know the you know save yourself two flat whites a week and you can go and do this amazing thing and i thought that that was a really strong message to push out for attractions yeah i, I think that we've got to get across a value message again as as everybody's talking about this i think that the marketing speak that you'll hear me say it, it, it's not new stuff for anybody i imagine that, that, that listens to this because everybody that listens to this is is good at you know it is good at marketing they've got a sense of the understanding of the principles and 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 the concepts here so showing demonstrating value uh, for an attraction visit is essential and a lot of attractions not all by the way but a lot of attractions do deliver fantastic value and so you really need to kind of leverage that because yeah we spend a lot more money on a lot less stuff than memories than these moments and these shared experiences we do we need and we need a good reminder of where our money's being spent and where it's where it's important yeah I, and, and again i think there was a really good expedia advert around this it's like you know by memories, not stuff kind of thing. It, it was really good. Yeah. Okay. Number one thing that all attraction marketers need to focus on for 2023. Yes. So I've been thinking about how to kind of, you know, distill this into one thing for you. And I believe it is to generate revenue digitally. Three words. Bear with me on this whilst I uh, unpick it a little bit. We've got to generate revenue digitally. Now, that actually covers a lot of different things. First of all, it covers digital marketing, investing in digital to drive visitors, donations, memberships, whatever you want. That will help you generate revenue digitally. But more than that, your online shop and e-commerce, growing the revenue from that, which many people became pretty good at during the pandemic, that's generating revenue digitally. You can sell digital products Many membership programs from organizations might be a magazine, which will probably immediately go into the recycling. What 
about um, digital products. So you can develop these digital products that will be essential. That is, again, generating revenue digitally. Coupled with this, generating revenue is also kind of growing profits because you can actually deliver a lot of your functions now um, with technology in a really good way. We know how stretched attractions marketing departments are, how much work attractions marketers actually do on a daily basis, creating content here, coming up with a strategy there, firefighting this, solving that problem over there. It's crazy. When I look at the volume of work that attractions marketers do, it is massive. You know, there aren't any coasters in this industry. They're working really, really hard. And they need to use technology to make their jobs easier or not even make their jobs easier so they can elevate the work they do rather than scrambling around doing a little bit here or little bits there. You know, we should be using ChatGPT to create uh, attractions, marketing content continually for our attraction. We should be using really good email automation to solve that. And there's so much good tech out there that, this will save you money and again, grow profits, which is generating revenue for you. Finally, as part of all of this, all these bits, because they're all digital and it's all tech, they should all connect. You should be able to track, you should be able to look at this digital ecosystem you've created and understand how it interlinks and then how you can optimize that conversion. And again, some of the bigger conversations we're having with, you know, the some leading kind of attractions in the UK are very much about, right, We've got this area that's doing this digitally. We've got this digital activity pulling this in here. We've got an opportunity to um, increase efficiency by implementing some tech here. How does this all work together? Um, and, and that's exciting. That's that's what we should do. And that is probably very, very daunting for smaller attractions. Mm. And that doesn't matter. It's daunting. Yeah. And you have to face it head on because it is only going in that direction. I guarantee it. And you will not be here in five or 10 years if you do not do this. It's that simple. It's inevitable, to quote Agent Smith. However, however scary it might seem, it's okay because Navigate have just launched something that is actually going to help attraction marketeers perfectly with this which is your attraction marketing playbook i was not expecting your segue there um and 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 the thing that's quite interesting about that i wasn't expecting it so i thought you were going to disagree with me which i was getting well excited about (laughs) okay let's do it let's do this this. no no i absolutely agree with these i think you've nailed that advice there but i think what you said about it being a really daunting task. I think it can actually be a daunting task for larger attractions as well, actually, because let's face it, marketing teams are small, regardless of the size of agencies. They are really small and they wear lots of hats and they juggle a lot of different things. Yeah, they're they're, they're small. And also um, the industry, well, not the industry, the um, our society doesn't have the digital skills and capabilities that are required to capitalise on the technology we currently have. They're not available. We've not trained these people yet. And those people that do have those skills are in incredibly short supply comparatively. Um, I was at the APTA travel marketing conference last week, and there's this uh, company that specializes in travel recruitment uh, called Gail Kenny. And, and, and I've kind of known them a bit, and they're, they're good. And they gave a really decent analysis of this digital skills gap. And, and they just say, yeah, there's a huge issue. Anybody in, in digital marketing, digital advertising, CRO, CRM, all of these skills are, are just in, in, in desperate need across the industry. We just don't have the candidates. We don't have people doing this because they're all, you know, taken. So it's it's a skills issue as well, which makes it really daunting because there aren't the people with that with that knowledge. But you're right. 
that's I suppose that's why we kind of created the the visitor attraction growth playbook in that it's a decent sized document, you know, 50 or 60 pages that really just breaks down the kind of five or six core activities you should be looking at uh, to grow your visitors and revenue this year. And yeah, we've literally just said all the things we think you need to do. It's a lovely playbook, actually. And it's a really good thing to just kind of take away for an hour or so, just kind of work your way through, work on it, put your plan together, but then come back and revisit as well. We're going to put a link to this in the show notes. So anyone listening, don't worry, you don't need to go and find it. Literally just go to the show notes and you'll be able to download it for there because actually it's free to download for anyone for for a period of time, isn't it? Which is lovely. Very generous. Oh, well, it is very generous. I had a battle with my... um my marketing manager about this and he's like no and we, we we're not even going to email gate it and i'm like what what do you mean we're not even going to email gate it he went no we're not we just put it on a website click download done i'm like all right mate your call so there we go you lovely lovely good people you don't, don't thank me thank <laughs> Ollie Reed, our head of marketing it's it's him it's not me thanks ollie you are a lovely person actually ollie. <laughs> he you is are. He's very he's um, very but talking of loveliness, let's talk a little bit about Navigate as an agency, because you, you have got a really good ethos in the way that you that you grow your agency, the way that you hire, the way that you the, just the way that you run your organisation. And that kind of comes through really beautifully in the fact that you've recently gained B Corp status. Yeah. Just give us a little bit of a, a snippet of what B Corp means for our listeners that aren't aware of what this is. B Corp is ultimately a movement of businesses that have kind of agreed that the nature of doing business needs to be better and therefore we assign certain standards on ourselves in doing that business so for example uh, we have to have specific environmental policies we have to so- show improvement in that we have to have certain culture we have to have a certain mentality towards our team and treat our team in a certain way it's it's governance it's environmental impact it's social impact and it's rigorous. It takes two years to become a B Corp. And we, we we literally got it a few weeks ago. And yeah, it's it's great to be one. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the, I wouldn't say coolest, but I think, I think they're cool because that, that's what I think cool is, you know, being successful and being good. For me, that that's cool. So if, if you look at some serious brands, you know, people like Patagonia and what have you, the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the darlings of a good business, invariably you'll find that a lot of them are b corps or on that journey and i'm very proud of 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 being a b corp and at the same time it's not an external thing for me i think quite a few people use it as a oh we're a b corp so buy something from us that i mean that's a bit ridiculous in my opinion i think that it's about saying well listen going forwards business needs to do better it needs to be better. It needs to ho- hold itself to higher standards. There are multiple ways businesses can be profitable and make money. And all I'm saying is on top of that, you need to apply being good with it. And I think it's one of the fundamental requirements we have to impose on ourselves because, you know, we we won't have a planet in about 200 years time if we don't. I mean, we will have a planet. We just probably won't be very happy on it and it won't be very happy. I know this is, I mean, you You've talked about it from a business perspective, but I know that this is a bit of a passion a passion area for you as well, especially around kind of sustainability and 
um, being outdoors in nature. And actually, I, I mean, I'll put this on the, in the show notes, but Ant sent me, he emailed me a picture. He emailed it to me. He, he doesn't, he doesn't hate email really. He emailed me this wonderful picture of um, of himself this week out on a walk whilst listening to the that. podcast. It was so okay. I might share this photo. I'll put it on Twitter. It was a fabulous photo. It was outside in nature. But look, this is this is you. Like you are what you talk about. It's it's you personified. You know everything that you that you love is all around nature and being outside and being connected to the environment and being sustainable. And, and, and that really does come across in the way that you run Navigate, but also the personal projects that you have. Now, you mentioned earlier that you have your own kind of innovative projects on the go. You've got something quite exciting to talk to us about today, which um, it's a podcast exclusive, people. He's not talked about this anywhere. And Ant talks a lot. He really does. <laughs> this is this is a new thing. He's not discussed this with anyone. So, I want to hear about it. Well, I have discussed it with a few people. It's not been broadcast, Kelly. Because <gasps> uh, oh, actually, what? some of the people listening to this podcast, I know who they are, and I know them, and you know them, and we know them. And actually, they're going to be like, wait a minute, he spoke to me about that. So I've got the caveat. Oh. Some people know. Okay. But, um, but no, it's not been announced on the industry yet. It's not been broadcast. We've not launched it yet. Yeah, it's exciting. As you can tell, I've already started increasing the speed of my uh, conversation. <laughs> so... Yeah, do you, what, do you want to just dive in? I want you to dive in because I, I say, look, I, I did know about this prior to this conversation and I'm really excited about it. This is something that I am going to use. And I tell you what, I'm going to use it daily. So I'm really excited about it. I need you to share it with the podcast. Listeners. All right. You're so kind. Okay. So, yeah, um, we, we, we've created um, what we think is is quite a disruptive business for the for the industry and when I say disruptive well yeah in a, in a really really positive way I consider it a conservation technology business is how I I see it in my head is what it is and in its simplest form it's a mobile app but what we've done with our app Wildling is we've created an app that collates all of the UK's great nature places in one place and we've geolocated that information so that you, Kelly, can go to this app on a Saturday morning when it's a lovely day or not a lovely day, whatever, because because nature's ready, whatever the weather. You can go to your app and you go, what am I going to do today? And you can look at it and it'll geolocate all the nature places that you can go and visit near you. It gives you the facilities information, the visitor information that you'd need, the opening times, gives you directions. And then there's more. So in the first instance, it's a free to download app. We want everybody in the UK using this. We want it downloaded everywhere. We've got a pretty mega network of people that are already going to broadcast this when we launch. I think that the total email database size is about 50 million people so far going to get emailed this by our partners. Yeah, it's a bit mad. But email's okay, <laughs> folks. Not rubbish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit mad. Oh, and also, I I came up with this idea with um, with Sir Tim Smith. So Tim, who created Eden Project, it, it wouldn't be here without him. You know, me and him have talked about this for two years. We've been working on it together. We've been speaking about it for two years, and and he's he's guided me a lot on on where we go with this. So yeah, he's a, he's a legend, and he's my you know he's kind of my industry hero really. But um, yeah, so. Myself and team just thought it is, it's, 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 it's collectivizing nature. It's all these great nature places you can go. And, and it's solving a problem that I had, Kelly. Six years ago, I moved to Dartmoor from Bristol and, and I wanted to find out all these great places near me. And, and I had to go to about 
20 different websites and the information then was you know a bit rubbish on some of them some of them had images some of them didn't some of them had visitor information I, I couldn't tell so this way I've got my app wherever I am in the country I can find nature reserves from the RSPB English Heritage National Trust Forestry England you know all all the good organ all these great nature organizations with nature places and 20 seconds more our aim here is to put one billion pounds into nature over the next 15 to 20 years one billion pounds into protecting native nature in this country and the way we're going to do this is the way that it should be done because you know people won't care they won't protect what they what they haven't experienced that's Attenborough's line um, and it's true so we want to get them into nature and when they're there because they've used, they've used our app to get there we're going to be able to actually communicate with them given the information of that specific place that they are but also suggest they might want to donate to help protect that place and we can do it when they're actually in the environment or just shortly after they've returned. It's not, you know, a random email on a Wednesday evening when you've not been to a forest for, you know, three weeks. It's when you're there, when you're having that time, we're going to be able to prompt you to, you know, tap to tap to love nature and then send those funds out to the fantastic nature organisations that we have in this country to help them continue their good work. So, yeah, one billion 15 to 20 years, that's what we want to do. It's such a good idea. <laughs> it's such Thank a good idea. Much. I love it. Um, I'm I'm genuinely buzzing about this. So this is all of the lovely things that I like to do. And I think like you, you know, you kind of, you know what's on your doorstep, but you don't know enough of what's on your doorstep. Uh, you know, we are, we're really lucky. We live just outside Cambridge. We've got three or four National Trust places around us that we spend a lot of time. But also we spend a lot of time there, right? You're looking for new things and you don't always know the first place to go. You might kind of know some of the bigger things that are around. You know, we've got Thetford Forest, 45 minutes that way. And uh, I don't know, Broxbourne Woods, another 40 minutes that way. But what really is here? and What can I do to support these brilliant things and keep them keep them moving and keep them conservation, uh, you know, keep them conserving the, the natural environments that, we're, that are around us? It would be something that I genuinely would use. And I can't believe no one's done it. It's one of those ideas that you go, does this not well, exist? Wow. There's, there's a reason nobody's done it. It's because it's been a pain in the ass. to be honest. <laughs> a labour <laughs> of getting, love. Getting all the content, getting it all done. There's a reason it's not been done. And it's because it's a hell of a lot of legwork. But, you know, yeah, there's just so many beneficiaries of this that I'm really, really happy about, you know, for First of all, everyday people, everyday people thinking, what can I do today? Just all right, we'll go there, get outside, connect with nature. We know it's better for them. We know we know it makes us healthy. We know it gives us perspective. We know that, you know, what's going on in in various different parts of the world doesn't need to affect our day right now today. We know we can go away and escape from it all. And it's not always, you know, Netflix and bills and this, that and the other. There's more there's more to the world and it gives us perspective. Everyday people. But. But the challenge people have is is always it's just, it just seems really difficult for them. You know, um, when I speak with a lot of the organisations that we do through Wildling, it's really interesting. The number of people that will go on a day out to nature, go to a a, a forestry England place or a, or, you know, or, or a woodland trust location or somewhere like that, park up in a car park and then sometimes just stay in the car park or, or have their picnic like 10 metres from their car. 
the the distance people go from the from the point that they actually get into these nature places is very very small whereas me i park in and just zoom out i'm like right how far from this car park point can i get and go and explore but but there's a fear it doesn't feel easy it feels unnatural this is what how ironic that being in nature feels unnatural to us and so our app needs to do one thing it just needs to make nature easy for people and that's what it's doing yeah as well of course protecting it because we'll want people to donate afterwards totally um but yeah in the final point i'll make on it kelly because you know i can talk so now you've got me on this one i'm sorry i think it's also going to be pretty big for domestic tourism in general because you're right on your doorstep you can find out what it is but do you know what kelly maybe you've always wanted to visit norwich maybe you've always wanted to visit there and you're one of my favorite places there you go yeah i'll get an airbnb and then I'll use the app and I'll find all these great places around me. The fact is, wherever you are in the country, you're going to find these places. Are, are, with the volume of places we have on here, you're never going to be more than a few miles away from a, a really great nature place that you can go and visit. So, it, again, it's free. It's for everybody. Final point. Um, I was speaking with Joss Croft, um, who's the CEO of UK Inbound the other week. Um, and Joss is a great guy. Um, and and he said, uh, from an from an inbound tourism point of view, he thinks it's going to be really big as well. He thinks that people coming into the UK using this app to explore our, our natural environments, it would be fantastic. And one of our clients actually does bring about 2 million people into the UK per annum. And we know from the analysis and research that we've done that some of the primary reasons, particularly when entering the northern part of the UK, is for nature. Um, and a lot of them, you know, head in and head up to Scotland and, and, and around Yorkshire. But, uh, you know, one of the draws which you know I, I was a little bit surprised about um one of the draws of you near european visitors into the uk is, is nature and, and natural environments and wildlife so yeah it, it's great for in inbound tourism as well as domestic tourism not to mention it's making us all healthier that's boom, really boom, interesting boom. isn't it like yeah. having everything in one place i hadn't thought about how useful that would be to to, to tourists to the uk you know, they haven't got to, like you, like you were doing, spending hours on 20 different websites trying to find all the different things around you. They literally go to one app and it's all there. Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, we're not we're not stopping in the UK, Kelly. I'll tell you that. I mean, we're, I knew this was coming. Yeah, yeah. We're not stopping here because I want to use this app for me when, you know, and I, I, I don't really know much about France. So I want to get over to France and I want to be able to use my app to find all the fantastic nature places that I can go and you know experience there and in germany and in spain and so on and so forth what i really love about this is that it's a wonderful example of your your you know it's the combination of the passions that you have and the skill set that you have in the agency as well and it's just it's an absolutely perfect example of what you can do to support nature but you know what you can also do to help the attractions and the tourism organizations that you work with as well so just it's brilliant how can we find out more about it so it's not launched yet how do we find out more about it? How can our listeners get involved? Well, I'm pretty confident that when it's launched, any people that are connected to Skip the Cube podcast will probably get a lovely email from Kelly saying <laughs> it's here to download. So so that solves our audience here. Yeah, it, it will be ready soon. I mean, it'll just be available on the App Store. It's called Wildling. And we're going to be there in a few weeks. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, well, scary, look, what we'll do... We'll put a link to, um, as soon as it's launched, we'll put a link in the show notes again. And yeah, look, listeners, you'll definitely hear from me about this. Um, I'll be all over social media with it. 
maybe email because I don't mind a bit of email, but definitely Twitter. Oh, yeah. maybe, maybe some LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, um, this is brilliant. So uh, this might be an interesting question for you because we normally end the podcast by asking our guests to recommend a book, but you don't read that much. So do you have something that you would like to share with us, whether it's a book, a podcast, an audio book? What would you like to share with our listeners? Do you know what? Um, I will recommend a book. And to end and probably just, you know, Correct the blemish on my character, Kelly. I do read a lot, but I hate it. <laughs> so that's the difference. And, and I'm happy admitting it. There you go. It's, it feels slightly sadistic in the end, really, uh, reading. But there you go. The book I would recommend is called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And I think it's amazing. It's probably probably my favourite book. Reason why? I mean, Naval Ravikant's a bit of a legend. I mean, you know, he's incredibly successful, but his book is really succinct, short advices. It's a collection, an expansion of tweets that he created over time. And he, he splits the book into a 50-50. 50% is kind of wealth creation and all that kind of stuff. And the other 50% is happiness. And it just expands these points. But it's just so digestible. Each little nugget is, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We should do that. that, that, that I should do that. So, so I love it. Just it, you know, I don't, I do not need 50 pages to tell me something when, you know, five words will do. And, and so I love it for that reason. The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. I, it's really good. This is a book absolutely for me. Um, and has not been recommended on this podcast as well. We're building up such a great list of, of recommendations from our guests. That's a good one. I like that one. Okay. I'm going to put that on my list. Uh, listeners, if you want to win a copy of that book, you know what to do. Head over to our Twitter account, retweet this uh, episode announcement with the words, I want Ant's book, and you might be in with a chance of winning it. Um, This has been such a great chat. Thank you. You've given such good advice to our listeners. We will put all of your contact details in the show notes. So if any of our listeners want to get in touch and talk about um, some of the things we've discussed today, I know that you're always super happy to talk to people. We will put the marketing uh, playbook download in the show notes too so honestly go and get a copy of that i'm sure that ollie's not going to let you have it for free for much longer so grab it while you can <laughs> before you have to give him your email and, and, <laughs> uh, if, and if you don't mind kelly i'll reinforce your point about always happy to speak to people but particularly happy to speak to people that are in a bit of a fix i like i'm more than happy with a half hour chat saying to guys you know what we'd be doing this 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 is and this this is where i would go if i were you just if it helps. There you go. Look, they're such good guys. Look at them. I've learned this from my business partner, Simon. He's He is the nicest guy. Simon Jones is the nicest guy. Um, I'm, you know, not very nice compared to him, but he's just super nice. Huh? Yes, he is very nice. There's a lovely industry, you know. There's a lot of nice people, isn't there? Uh, which, which is great, which is why a lot of us here probably know each other. We've spoken to each other and we like each other. It's, it's a lovely know, place to be. As is, as is Skip the Queue. And now you're Skip the Queue alumni. So... Well, welcome to the even lovelier little segment within it. So thank you. It's been lovely to chat. You're a superstar. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.